Welcome to Diving Into Crypto. Diving Into Crypto. A weekly series where thought leaders share insights, strategies, and insider stories about all things crypto and Web3. Brought to you by Adlunum. Surpassion emoji. I also see that our speaker, Dr. Richard Carback, is in the room. Uh, Doc, if you would like to have a quick sound test before we flag off the show, uh, you can just unmute and say hi. Hello. Sounds All right. You can, can you hear me okay? Yep. Loud and clear. Loud and clear. Indeed. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I can see that the room is fast filling up, so we will start the show in record time. Give us about 30 seconds so that our team's in place, and then we have a smooth sailing going forward. Okay, welcome, welcome, welcome to this episode of Diving Into Crypto. This is JP from Adlunum INC bringing you everything about Web3. On the show today, we have Dr. Richard Carbeck. He's already in the room, really excited to hear what he's doing with the XX Network and a little about his journey, about how he got there. From, from what I've seen, he's been an inventor. Uh, he's been in tech for the longest time, but I'm going to let him tell us all about that in a minute. Before we begin, once again, ladies and gentlemen, uh, the show is hosted by Ad Lunum. It's the industry's first NFT-integrated engage-to-earn seed crowdfunding platform and ideal launchpad with a proof-of-attention allocation model. That's a mouthful, but in other words, your engagement and your attention is rewarded for allocation. That being said, I'd like to remind the audience in the room, views expressed on this program belong to that of a speaker and is not to be construed as financial advice. Also, in case we get cut off, please remember to come back to Adlunum INC and you will find yourself a new link to jump back into the room and continue with the show. Um, also, if you have, we will open out a question and answer round at the end of the program. Uh, if you have any questions in between, please feel free to message them to Adlunum INC or to our speaker directly so that we can have them answered for you. Finally, if the speaker drops a gem or you find something that you've that makes you have an epiphany, please, by all means, show us your love uh, with the emojis that are there. You can choose the colors that you like. I think I'm going to choose today's color. Uh, I'm going to go with with green. Do we have green in the heart? Yes, we do. Indeed. OK, there we go. OK, that being said, once again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. And more importantly, let's welcome to the stage our guest. Dr. Richard Kabe. Doc, welcome. Uh, thank you, JP. I also appreciate the uh, the green heart, green being my favorite color. So uh, I'm really happy to be here um, and share sort of why privacy matters with your audience. I think I'm probably the first guest that you're having that, that's going to be able to do that. And uh, I'm really grateful to be here. Excellent. Glad you accepted our invitation. And yes, it got us extremely curious about Web3 protection. I know it's a sore point for all of us, but before we dive right into that, I'd like us, uh, I'd like you to share with us a little about who's the man behind XS, XX Network, 
all the wonderful stuff that you've done. Uh, you know, what's your background and what got you here? Yeah, I am a cryptographer and I'm a software engineer. I've done a significant work, amount of work on voting systems, cryptographic end-to-end uh, -end voter verifiable voting systems. If you look me up online, you'll see uh, probably 15 or 20 publications on that. Uh, my main work at XX has been building out the private messaging protocols. I've done a fair amount of computer security work and I've done forensics work. So I'm all over the place in, from a technical perspective, but it's all centered around pr the privacy and security space. And I want to say my current focus is privacy preserving technology. I also, in my free time, I, I, I will contact politicians and I try to use my expertise to behind the scenes advocate for better regulations and laws uh, in addition to you know, actively working on these technical solutions that we're going to talk about today. Oh, that's that's awesome. Okay, great. And and which point did you did you realize? I mean, because I know that you've worked a lot with uh, with different types of software. And yes, you have been. Uh, you are a cryptographer. Uh, but at some point, it it must have struck you to say that, hey, you know, Web three is the place to be for me. Uh, what was that? What was that moment like? What was that story? I've always found the technology fascinating. I went to school in the early 2000s. I was an early adopter. Uh, but also, I, I will say, I've, I've kind of been in and out of it over the years because I, I will follow what I find to be the most technical, technically interesting thing. So let me talk a little bit about that. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I... I probably mined Bitcoin maybe three or four months after the white paper was released, right? So you could Whoa. say I'm like one of the OGs, but, uh, you know, and also, uh, you know, publicly you can see I was associated with a voting project that had a side project called CommitCoin. If you go look up mm -hmm. CommitCoin, you can read all about it. And that was, mm -hmm. that used Bitcoin to timestamp the data from the voting system, which enabled us to do a digital audit trail. And I think that we were the first project that used cryptocurrency as a timestamping system. And now there's a, several projects that are that are doing that. And it's become sort of a, a small business. Uh, after that, I did a project to track human traffickers uh, that were using Bitcoin. And as part of that, I, I actually agreed to sell all my crypto, which in hindsight was a terrible, terrible idea. Uh, but, you know. That's it is what it is, and I'm not looking back at that. Um, I after after that project, I started working at uh, a research uh, institution in Boston. It's called Draper Laboratories, and then I mm -hmm. did a startup on. Uh, I spun out a startup from there that did software vulnerability scanning. So I was doing that work. I wasn't really into crypto. I got back into it again in 2017 when I started working on XX. But I want to say, like, to, to answer your original question, I've kind of always been, I've always thought that there was a future here and I've always been involved, right? And uh, you know, to, just to circle back to my involvement in the current project, that goes back probably to 2005 when I had just started grad school. And I was watching this talk by David Chom, who's like my long-term collaborator. And he's another co-founder on the XX Network. He's the main guy behind it. Uh, many people in the audience are going to know him as either the godfather of anonymity or the godfather of crypto. Indeed. That's because, you know, he ran a company in the 90s called eCash. Mm -hmm. 
right? Which is sort of the earliest, I want to say the earliest really serious form of crypto uh, effort that was out there. And anyway, he's up there and he's talking about this voting system that he's working on. And mm -hmm. I'm sitting there and I'm seething and I'm like rocking back and forth and I'm agitated. Okay. And I'm agitated because while he's up there presenting all this interesting cryptography, he's also pointing out sort of the parts he hasn't worked out yet. And I'm sitting there and I've connected all the dots and I just want to jump out of my chair and be like, no, you can do it. I know how to build this. Uh, so when that talk ended, I very adamantly went up there and I said, I said, I can build this. I know exactly how. And I think within two or three months, we had a working prototype. And so we've been Whoa. collaborators uh, since then. So it's, it's kind of a long and windy path, right? I was there. I wasn't there. I, I've kind of always believed in it. You know, um, I'm 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 really glad that you 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 had a chance to attend that seminar because what uh, what he's done, of course, is 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 pioneering. I mean, I'm 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 at a loss for the words because uh, when you when you look at when you look at the genesis, right? When you look at where it, where it all began, this was eCash was definitely um, the uh, you you could say that that was in many ways the starting point where where all of this began, right? So for you to yeah, have to goes, be in that seminar, the point was fantastic. It goes back to his PhD thesis when he talked about a chain of blocks. I think he's probably the first person that really had that realization, but he hadn't coined the term. So mm -hmm. it's, it, it really, he really is a, a key seminal player in all of this. Right. I'm sorry this, to interrupt this would have been way back. No, no, this, this, uh, this is fascinating because this would have been way back in, in what, 80, 88, 89? 79, probably, before I was born, really. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so, so this is super. I mean, you know, okay. So, so you're working at this point of time focused on, on preserving privacy, right? Um, let's, let's start here because I, I know that some of the audience may, may already be deep into it, but, but some of us are still struggling with, Hey, you know, okay, what does privacy mean? Do, do I just turn off my Google settings? And you know, is, is that the end of it? Like how uh, deep does the rabbit hole go? Yeah, uh, it. the problem is, right now, there are automated systems and machines. They're tracking everything you do, when you do it, and in many cases, what, you, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's insidious, and it's everywhere. Right. And it doesn't just affect the digital world. It's very much affecting the physical world now. Wow. I'm sorry to be so profound about it, and I'm, I'm happy to talk more, but I, it, is, it is very much the case that, you know, you, you get in your car and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you drive down the street, and mm -hmm. in most places that most people live, probably 15 or 20 devices, a lot of them are going to be things like license plate readers, get right. and store data about where you went. So, and we're, we're vastly becoming, we're, we're very close to becoming a, a situation like a dystopia where you, you, you can't go anywhere without everyone knowing everything. So not everyone, people in privileged positions knowing everything. And I don't mean the government, I mean corporations in many cases. Indeed. The government too, but corporations mm -hmm. as well.
Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the ones, uh, you know, they're the ones that have a, a very focused agenda when, when it comes to when it comes to doing that. And of course, we, you know, a lot of us understand the analytics behind it. But, uh, you know, it, it is it is uh, scary in many ways, but it's also the truth. Right. Uh, it, it is rather it's a fact. It's not just the truth, but it, it, it's the fact of uh, what's happening, what how far technology has reached. And. You know, in in the more that we we get to know about it, the more we can do, uh, the more we can uh, take measures to protect ourselves and not just turn a blind eye and say, hey, you know what? Uh, I didn't know that this was happening. Okay. Um, so so that being that being that being said, and of course, uh, fo with the focus on focus on privacy for for all of us, um, you know, starting off with the starting off with this. Uh, with the XX network, right? Um, it, it comes to to developing a community. I, I understand that you you know the XX network has has already been around since, as you said, twenty seventeen. Um, tell us a little about the uh, tell us a little about the starting of that journey. You know what it what it took, uh, and uh, some the the um, the path that it took to get to where it is today. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for that question. That's a great question, JP. I, I want to start by saying it's it's sort of it, it's been incredibly rewarding finding like-minded folks building this community that believe that also believe in the mission. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to say, you know, from the bottom of my heart, to any of those folks that are are listening, that I'm extremely grateful to you and and extremely grateful to have your support. Our whole team is working really hard to make our, our vision a reality. And we really get a lot of motivation from our core supporters, and especially so when there's setbacks. So that's been really wonderful. In terms of our timeline, I, you know, I, I was doing prototyping in 2017. We were not sold that a blockchain was the right way to deploy this technology, but we knew that it needed to be decentralized. Mm -hmm. I think we figured that out probably in late 2018 and that's when we started going to conferences it took us about two years to get the beta net off the ground we launched that in i think november of 2020 might have been september and then in march if as pe many people know uh, the pandemic hit so right. our our six month timeline for going from beta net to mainnet didn't quite work out but we still actually managed to launch it in 2021 and that definitely happened in November. And now we're in the process of building out an ecosystem. In 2022, we launched the XX Messenger. And now we are working on uh, you know, current technology. We just released a beta for something we're calling Speakeasy, the code name. You can check it out at mm -hmm. alpha.speakeasy.tech. And then there's another tool that we released uh, called Proxy. That's proxy.xx.network. And all of those are free for your average user, no crypto involved. They're just tools that you can use that are privacy tools. And we're working on building that out even further. So that's been the journey. Wow. Okay. So, um, so, so it's easy to, uh, I mean, it's in some ways, right? The, the fact that you have uh, developed this is, is already a, a huge step in getting people to adopt it uh is the next one and of course that that does come with its own set of challenges i'm curious to understand though when it comes to your privacy is um 
Um, what does it take to get somebody to understand that? I think that most people kind of need to be punched in the face with a bad consequence. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, you know, what I'm, let me think of an example for you. So, you know, your bank tracks mm -hmm. your transaction. And if you look up bank of America, close my account, you will mm -hmm. see hundreds of stories of regular people suddenly losing access to their bank account because uh -huh. some AI, most likely because some AI tool decided that they weren't good for the bank. So the bank just shuts their account and takes their money. I think what? those people, it's very easy to convince them that privacy matters because their bank abused that privacy and used it against them. There wow. are much less important examples uh, that I think also drive home the point. Uh, years ago, I want to say it's almost 10 years now, mm -hmm. Target had a story where they were predicting like, who was pregnant. And there was a father of a, of a young teenage girl, and he starts getting mm -hmm. pregnancy mail addressed to his daughter. And that's how he found out that she was pregnant because Target had been monitoring her transactions and figuring out, oh, she's buying the unscented wipes. Mm -hmm. She must be pregnant. Let me start sending her this. And I think once you get hit with that, it suddenly becomes really important. I also find that it's very easy for people in more marginalized communities to understand this because they tend mm -hmm. to get abused. Right. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. This is this is of course uh, something that 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 drives really deep. I mean, if you're talking about your, you know, you, you mentioned before that you you could have your license plate picked up and then somebody knows exactly where it is that you're going. Um, you know, your your bank account. Uh, there's something that says, hey, uh, we may not be the right customer for this bank, and then they freeze your assets. Uh, you, you walk into the store and your purchases are being recorded. And based on that, some intelligence is saying or some um, some algorithm is saying that, hey, this is your particular condition. Um, and, and of course, this 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 goes to, you know, the, this is scary on, on so many levels. I mean, that's let's just put that out there. Right. Um, now, I my, my first instinct is to say, how do I protect myself from this? But I think the, the, the bigger question to, to ask is um, where are the vulnerabilities or where are the, the avenues that my data is being picked up uh, that I should, at the very least, have this basic protection around? Um, is, is there, is there, a, you know, uh, is there a, a checklist or is there some, you know, some, some basics that I should be doing uh, that, that I should look for uh, to be able to, to stop this entire cycle from going as far as that? I, there's no checklist and it's, it's kind of an impossible question to answer. I will say what I do, right? I, I mm -hmm. try to use, I try to use cash when I can. Mm -hmm. I, 
I try to, you know, when I bring my phone, when I'm out with my phone, I will, I will turn off all of the, the wireless signals. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's sort of limited things you can do there. When I'm online, I will try to use Tor or VPN. Uh, mm-hmm. If it's something where I'm not comfortable with someone being tracking me. And I, right. I try to move all of my chats over to Access Messenger and Speakeasy these days. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm an early adopter. So, uh, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, and it's a matter of understanding what the threat is and trying to work within it. Right. So I hate to use drug dealers as an example, but you see all those TV <laughs> shows where they they yeah. have the, the 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 throwaway phones. Right. And right. they're kind of accepting the fact that the, th- the phone is getting mm-hmm. is getting tracked, but they're right. using it in a way that really makes it hard to track them. So you got to think right. it's a sad state of affairs when you have to think like a criminal to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. But that's the reality yeah. we live in. And that's the kind of mindset that you need to have going into these things. And especially if there's a protest going on, I wouldn't even bring my phone. And if I do, I will turn it off, even if I'm not participating in the protest. Right now, you've got sort of they, they have these listening devices and they're just assuming everyone in the area is part of the protest, even if you're just going to work. Right. So it's, right. it's in your best interest to assume that you're going to get tracked and that's going to get used against you. So Whoa. it's 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 a tough situation to be in, uh, mm-hmm. and there's no there's no unique answer. I will say another really important tool in the toolbox mm-hmm. is time, right? right? So they may be able to track a device, uh, and then they'll be able to figure out who bought that because there's cameras and things like that. But that right. data doesn't typically get stored forever. If you buy right. something and then wait a year before you start using publicly you, mm-hmm. and you bought it in cash, typically right. that that association can't easily be made. If you buy it with your MasterCard, I guarantee you MasterCard has already sold that data to the U.S. government mm-hmm. and other governments, and they could just type in a thing with the, like the IMEI number or the serial number, and boom, they, ha- they, know, who, they know who owns it. Right? So okay. then it's associated with you. So, yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Um, Doc, I have to ask. Part, I mean, part of, you know, sorry to, sorry to belabor no, the point, ahead, but ahead. part of what we're doing is we're trying to carve out private spaces where you can have privacy. And it's not that right. you should have privacy in all aspects of life. It's that mm-hmm. privacy needs to exist. It's essential to a free and functioning mm-hmm. society. That is very much sort of a core belief that I, that I espouse. Indeed, indeed, and and I'm, and um, you know the it is, I mean, it's it's a basic right, right? Uh, that that you have you have freedom. I don't know if you want to amend the constitution, but you you need that you you're gonna need that freedom from your. Uh, from your basics, every movement, every single movement of yours being being chalked out, right? And and that 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 definitely isn't something that should happen. Um, and and of course, uh, this may be. Um, I, I wouldn't say it may be, but do you also see this more um, significantly in you know the U.S.? Do you see it all across the world? And, and this may sound naive, 
but they, uh, you know, are there are there spaces in which this is this system isn't as developed uh, as it is, uh, you know, where you are. With free speech protections and things like that, there are some legal backstops in the U.S. that I don't think exist mm -hmm. elsewhere. I do think it's a worldwide problem. We're sleepwalking into a world where, for example, I think this is an important function. Anonymous right. whistleblowers just aren't going to exist. It's not going to be possible to be an anonymous whistleblower. Right. So what that means is there's the powerful in every society get absolute control. And that gets real scary when you think about who's powerful where. A powerful drug cartel, a powerful corporation, what can they do with that level of power? And mm. I'll get laughed at sometimes when I say this, especially to policy people, but mm. this lack of privacy is a national security issue. Just think mm. it through. Uh, you know, yeah. A plurality of folks are are good people. I believe that at least, and you can at least say that the vast majority aren't evil, right? right. But if the, if the bad guys can concentrate power and then anyone who threatens their operation, they can immediately identify, pick out and take care of by take care of, I mean, get rid of or otherwise uh, mm -hmm. delegitimize. Mm -hmm. uh, then the good guys can, you know, there is no good guy to stop a bad guy, right? If you're in cartel right. land, they have absolute control Maybe you want to go tell the government has stayed over what's going on or the U.S. government. But bad guys don't right. play by the same rules as good guys. So it's really important okay. that we have these private spaces so that that can continue to exist. I also think that corporations and government abuse of privacy is going to keep getting worse. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've already kind of alluded to this, but privacy in the physical world is probably mm -hmm. done in the next five or six, five or 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, if you own a cell phone and you're using it regularly, that's already true for you, right? right. Um, yeah, you're just not going to go anywhere without being tracked. So if we can mm -hmm. preserve private spaces, it, at least digitally, then we can preserve yeah. that free thought and free society. We can provide that relief valve so, valve so that you know a, a whistleblower can do what they need to do. And you can operate without potentially being judged or criminalized for something you did mm -hmm. years and years ago. That's the hope. Yeah. I mean, and it's also, it's also an interesting, it, these are interesting times we live in. And, you know, I, I, of course <laughs> say those say yes. the words interesting. The Chinese proverb words. is true. We, we live in interesting <laughs> times or it's a Chinese curse, right? Yeah. That's what I'm right, saying. Exactly. Yeah. Um, when, when, you know, uh, and, and I'm going, uh, I'm going to deviate a little, of course, and uh, go on to uh, to the fact about what what you're seeing around the world. Uh, in in many ways, that you have a lot more today uh, a magnification of certain social issues that may not have been in the spotlight, uh, with the intent of coloring perception, right? And it's it's as you're saying, you have a micro um, a micro uh, segment of, of uh, societies the world over or you know uh, a population that is uh, that is not in that is the outlier of good right or is not in uh, not in a category that is that, that has uh, malicious intent right uh, and then you you 
when when that is amplified, uh, the rest of the population, let's say that that's that's at five percent, but ninety five percent of the population is seeing that just that one segment is causing an issue, uh, and that being amplified begins to color vision. Uh, and what often happens is that the people who don't stop to think about what does that actually mean and how much of that impact is actually going out uh, begin to start seeing things in that way. Now, this is, of course, from, from a media point of view, but at the same time, uh, if your privacy is uh, if your privacy is violated, if your privacy is taken over, um, these these same points can be used, you know, in, in many ways to be amplified for um, individuals, right, and on an individual level. And then statistically, uh, that collective starts becoming larger of, just by virtue of, of amplification. Uh, I think I've begun to ramble. I'm sorry. Well, I think yeah, what you're talking. Question. I think what you're talking about is is how does how does privacy look at scale, right? Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. a fair characterization? In, 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 yeah, from a from a from a media point of view, but also yes, it starts with privacy. Yes, it absolutely does. So, at scale, it's kind of a dynamic between at scale versus individually, and the example that immediately comes to mind is healthcare. In the U.S., right. I, most people in the world don't have to worry about this, right? But in the U.S., right. uh, it's privately run health insurance. And a big mm -hmm. problem here is they are able to use this data that's collected at scale to make judgments about the population and to assess risk based on your current health profile. So they compare you against their averages and how much it's cost historically, and then they charge right. you more or less depending on that. And that's, mm -hmm. in theory, been made illegal, but I guarantee you they're working on every possible way they can do, they can to use that data against you. So that's the kind of way that it, this, this, this problem exposes mm -hmm. itself at scale. And I'm sure there are more that I can think of, but that's the one that comes to mind right now. Well, you know, uh, Doc, you've, you've come up, hit on some, some very interesting points, and all of them... Um, you know, work on every aspect of, of things that we, we would not think of, right? I know it, I know in, in some forums, right, especially on, on Discord, uh, people have speculated that you are a former cyber spy, right? <laughs> According to an article, I believe, in 2013 uh, on Cryptome. Uh, <laughs> tell us, can you yes, tell us a little JP, about that? You've, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you've done your homework on me. Um, <laughs> Of course, I'm a, I'm a cyber spy. All of this is obviously a front. Nothing I said actually matters, right? But uh, <laughs> but in all seriousness, uh, yeah. well, to be fair to those people, it's not like I don't have the skill set, right? Right. Uh, I did say I have a background in computer security and forensics, so it's 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 an honest question. Uh, but to explain the that was a, it's not really an article. It's something that was released on a website called Cryptome. And um, uh -huh. at the time, I was working at uh, Draper Laboratories. I was running their embedded system security lab. And, right. you know, surprise to no one, the embedded system security lab evaluates and comes up with security solution solutions to secure embedded systems. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was invited to give this talk at Fordham University at this conference for cybersecurity that was run by the FBI. Uh, and the talk was about approaches on how you protect legacy control systems and public infrastructure like power plants and water treatment facilities 
from remote hacking attacks. And in general, I, I, the high level takeaway there is don't connect it to the internet. And mm -hmm. if you must, you do some very robust analog backstop control on top of whatever it is you're doing. So it's impossible for the digital system to do something that could cause a catastrophe. So that's like the, the takeaway of my talk. At that same conference, uh, you know, mm -hmm. I did not know this in advance, but they had the CIA and the NSA director, I think it was Michael Hayden. And he has that favorite, his, his famous quote, I believe he said it there was, uh, uh, we use, we use data to, or sorry, we use your metadata to kill people. Like we use metadata oh. to kill people. That's all we go on. We don't even need to know the contents of the information. It's like an infamous wow. quote from him. Like, so I'm really mean it when the metadata protection is important. It, it, very much so, especially if, if you're in an area that's targeted by the U.S. It could be very mm -hmm. fatal if you aren't watching that and who you're associating with and, and what data is getting tracked there. So I hope, I hope that answers the question. So it's just... <laughs> It, it does. I, I have I have so many more. <laughs> I, have, I have so many more now that that's out there. Um, but 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 to stick to point, right? To, to stick to point, and, and you know, you you've shared with us, of course, some of the 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 prime ways that that data gets tracked. Um, some of the key things we can do to protect ourselves. Um, you know, and and it keeps coming back to me that as you as you as you're saying this. It does make a lot of sense, but I'm sure that there are a lot of people out there that say, hey, you know what? I would rather be an ostrich, put my head in the sand and just continue with my life the way the way it's going. Right. I'm I'm absolutely fine with that. I've got no problems with that. Um, you know uh, what, what you're telling me could also not be true. Right. Because it, maybe they don't want to believe it or maybe they're, they're not seeing it, um, you know, apart from punching them in the face, because now their head's in the sand. So it's going to be difficult. But um, how how do we get across to how do we get across to to family? How do we get across to you know our colleagues, uh, friends, uh, to get them to understand the importance of securing their privacy? My main strategy has been, and honestly, that's a very difficult problem, JP. You're, you're and a great question. My main strategy has been to focus on the stories. Mm -hmm. And there are many. There are ubiquitous video cameras everywhere. And mm -hmm. there are multiple stories now of police identifying the wrong individual. Right. And you're, you were a thousand miles away and you knew. And there was evidence, like hard, stone cold evidence that you had never set foot in that mm -hmm. jurisdiction. But because right. a facial recognition match hit you, you're, you're shipped across the country. Right. So, right. That's a real story. It's not fake. Like that's mm -hmm. something that happened to someone and it's happening. Right. It's going to continue to happen, happen to people. Um, another one is, you know, many people in this audience 10, 15 years ago were probably younger. They probably boasted about sort of criminal activity on Reddit or other social media. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have a court case that just recently they tried to subpoena Reddit for information mm -hmm. posted from 2011 to right. see if they could de-anonymize those people because they had bragged about downloading, I think it was The Expendables. Again, another real true story. So 
I think the other aspect of this is to actually have the tools built and functioning mm -hmm. and working and for them to pro provide more value than what else is out there. And I'm, I'm doing my best to do that. That's sort of my main focus in life right now. Understood. Well, and, and more power to you, Doc, because this is something that, you know, a lot more people need to empower themselves about. Um, and in, in, in so many ways, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm hoping that this, this podcast to the audience that it reaches, that it, it is, at least makes them think, if not act, at least to make them think about how they should be protecting their privacy. Um, but, I, yeah. I would add to that, you're not defenseless, right? Mm -hmm. Even in Bitcoin, where everything can be tracked. Right. You have a defense. Mm -hmm. Send it to an exchange, pop it out to a new wallet. Mm -hmm. Right? There's some level of protection there. Right. The exchange can de-anonymize you, but the internet not necessarily can't, especially if it's a different amount, right? Right. You can't make many assumptions there. So mm -hmm. there are defenses. It's just a matter of learning them. There's a... I don't want to advertise other people but you know there are wallets like wasabi wallet yeah. that kind of do this for you automatically right so by all means do do some research download and try these new tools uh, you've got nothing to lose yeah uh, definitely 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 um okay um to come back because i i know that we we, we, we have a lot more ground to cover on the show all right so um the i, I want to circle back to one thing we we hit on security we've we've hit on uh how to protect yourself as an individual right when it comes to building xx network of uh, you know you tell us a little about how it operates and then i want to dive a little into um some of the finer points about its operation yeah so the reason we started building xx network I want to say it was the pre-computation, which was a technical discovery that David made. Mm -hmm. uh, it's covered in, in our white paper. Essentially, what it does is it can do a lot of work on the computer ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And then when the data comes in for processing, you can process it extremely quickly. And that enables right. this technique of high trust batch mixing with very fast speeds. And mm -hmm. when that made this technology viable, Right. I was on board to build it. I think it took me four months or six months to build it. And I had mm -hmm. some help with, uh, from, with Ben, uh, Ben Wengers, the other major technical uh, individual on the project. So we built that prototype. Once we proved it worked, we started working on a production version of that. The first mm -hmm. version, it required 64 CPU cores. And Whoa. you know we're thinking we're thinking about well, that's very pricey for our for for nodes in a decentralized system, and yeah. we realized wait a minute, consumer GPUs are great at the problem these computers are slow at, which is modular multiplication, and NVIDIA, mm -hmm. it just happened to be that year, they had released okay. a library, so now our mm -hmm. our I think our nodes cost about two grand, to okay. like build a node which is mm -hmm. like nothing. It's just a mm -hmm. standard server on the internet, but it needs, a, it needs a GPU to work. And we're not, we're not mining. We're not doing hashing or anything like that. It's, it's, uh, it's doing this pre-computation to, to, to execute on the network. Once we had that mm -hmm. mixnet, we needed this decentralization model that could work. 
a blockchain with consensus that keeps up with the speed of the batch mixing was what we needed. So we ended up building a layer one that could be tuned to keep up with the mixnet. And mm-hmm. because we're cryptographers this entire time, you know, that whole time, we're, mm-hmm. we're paranoid about the threat of quantum computers. I think we still are. Right. So we're thinking, how do we make the messaging robust against that threat? Because you can store the messages now and decrypt them later, right? Right. So we came up with a protection for that. While we were doing that, we another part, another team, Mario, Yaxetic, and David, came up with mm-hmm. doing it for the transactions and the consensus. So we right. added that into the mix. So XX Network is really a culmination of all this engineering and these these sort of technical, unforeseen technical advancements. Uh, right. But the seed of that was all the pre-computation. Okay. Um, and it's interesting that it's interesting that you say that because you know um, when when you mentioned not just the the way the system is built uh, and and the logic behind or rather the the intent behind having to to, to make it as secure and as cost effective as possible um, I, I know that I read somewhere where you say that XX networks uh, is uh, quantum resistant and has a privacy focused blockchain ecosystem which is uh, you know which is comparably better than traditional blockchain platforms right especially in terms of security and privacy um, for the layman, especially, you know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a layman as well. I, I don't understand this. And I know that a lot of people don't understand the tech side of it. Uh, so for, for us to be able to, to get an idea, right, about how much further or how much <laughs> as a quantum leap, right, pun intended, uh, XX network has taken, can you, can you draw us a picture or paint us a, a, a scenario how, how that works better, smoother, and, um, you know, more securely. Absolutely. So I think the way to think of it is that there are two aspects to it. Mm-hmm. I'll talk about the messaging first in a little bit more detail, and I'll try not to put everyone to sleep. So mm-hmm. on most messaging systems, the encryption, if there is any, is between mm-hmm. you and the server, right? So if you're mm-hmm. using Facebook Messenger, right. the Facebook Messenger servers can read it. And the story is the same with Telegram. It has a more secure option, but it's rare for people to use it. So by mm-hmm. default, Telegram is the same way. It stores, it reads all of your messages. On mm-hmm. what I what are considered really secure systems, the messages are end-to-end encrypted. And that means that this intermediate servers that are handling the messaging and sending them back and forth, they can't mm-hmm. read your messages. Only the recipients can. And a good example of that technology is Signal. Right. We're taking that a step further. Because mm-hmm. what's different in our system is because in addition to that, when you send a message and where it gets sent, in other words, that mm-hmm. metadata that we've been talking about is hidden. That's huge. That means right. you can go into your McDonald's and you know, hopefully in the future pay for that sandwich in crypto. And nobody knows if it was you doing it on your cell phone or you're, you, you message your uncle to pay for it because that right. metadata on that payment doesn't exist. Obviously, McDonald's is going to have like the, the picture of you in the store, but the actual right. metadata of the device metadata doesn't exist, mm-hmm. which offers you a lot of protection. So bad mm-hmm. guys that are passively listening on the open Wi-Fi in the McDonald's, they no longer get the target mm-hmm. that they would otherwise get saying, oh, this device has crypto, Maybe we can mm-hmm. look at that transaction, figure out exa- roughly how much 
that that kind of analysis is completely blocked off from the bad guy. And it also means that you can do things like use the Wi-Fi at work and talk mm-hmm. to your therapist and your boss doesn't know that you have a therapist. Again, because <laughs> they don't have that metadata to see it. So you've right. created a private space where none existed. Right. The second okay. aspect. Uh, mm. Let me get to this. Uh, that was just the first aspect. The second right. aspect of all of this is that quantum protection. So we, mm-hmm. I, I already mentioned we provide the options both on the blockchain side and the consensus and transaction side. Sorry, on the messaging right. side and on the consensus and transaction side. Right. And I'm happy to get into like more detail there. But the bottom mm-hmm. line, the takeaway is that when quantum computers become a threat, we right. will have the solutions in place. So it's not a problem. Right. Which well, nobody else has, as far as I know, nobody else has done that yet. We're working with um, people in other projects like IOHK and Algorand. But mm-hmm. uh, as far as I know, and, and certainly I think that we won't, when, when it becomes a threat, I'm hopeful that most systems will have some transition plan. But I don't, mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, 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 it's nice to know that we, we've, we're kind of ahead of the game there. Well, in, indeed. And so far, uh, to quote McDonald's, I'm loving it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because you know what you're saying is you're you're already preparing to be future ready, right? Um, and it, this is, of course, the more that these transactions become mainstream, uh, the more you you want to be able to have the right security measures in place. Okay, so so that that makes perfect sense to me. I can I can totally understand that. Um, yeah, and it's also and thank you for paint, painting that picture because now it also becomes clearer uh, how exactly the the um you know how open our messages are on 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 whatsapp on facebook on on telegram uh where it should be you know protected as uh as as protected as we want it to be right okay um but this being now now this being said um when it comes to when it comes to xx network right uh i i understand also in addition to to this um that you have done some work in in various other spaces uh, in in some part in, in in with innovation with uh, with mainstream tech um, and also with uh, voting. Um, but my team's telling me that. Um, tell me a little about tell me a little about some of this some of this innovation, and then let's let's dive a little into the voting aspect because this is I think this is going to be an, an interesting topic. Absolutely. So I, like I said, I've, my career has been a mix of cryptography and a mix of voting, voting system as part of that voting systems and forensics and computer security work. And Mm -hmm. I started a startup in, I think it was 2015 to 2017. And that startup was called Lexamo. And what we were doing is uh, vulnerability scanning, where we would look at if you had some kind of embedded device and you wanted to compile, like, let's say a TV, you're compiling mm-hmm. some form of Linux for that, right? And right. we would look at your comp- everything you're compiling and we would drop that down into a, uh, a set of artifacts. Those artifacts would go into a machine learning model, uh, mm-hmm. a vector model for machine learning, and then we were able to use that to tell you hey, you've compiled this version of this open source software, which has this vulnerability. 
Okay. And we were working on extending that into, you know, this general class of vulnerabilities exists in this, in this code base, right? So that was the purpose right. of the startup. And okay. um, very interesting, didn't work out. Um, ended up going, you know, working on XX Network instead after that. Um, mm -hmm. Before that, I had done some other minor startup stuff. But let's talk about what you're really interested in, which is the voting. And okay. part of my PhD research was, can we make systems where you get some confirmation that doesn't prove how you voted, but no. lets you gives you confidence that your vote was counted properly? Okay. And that sounds like I'm saying opposite things, but let me explain to you yeah. briefly how it works. Okay. So the way that this system works is before the election, we post what I call a digital audit trail online. And that mm -hmm. is, uh, I think of it like a phone network. So it's a phone number attached to a person. So in this case, it's a phone number attached to a candidate. And then there's a bunch of wires in between that are all mixed up. What's hidden right. on the digital audit trail is those wires. Those are encrypted. Okay. So right before the election, before we print the ballots or however we're going to do it, we reveal mm -hmm. some of those wires and we say, look, all of these wires match to all of these candidates. So right. we're not lying. These, this is a one-to-one -one connection because we've audited in our, and I think in our proposals, it's, it's roughly half, uh, but you're doing, mm -hmm. uh, there's multiple copies. So it's one over two to the N, one minus one over the two to the N probability that we did it right. And there's no wires or numbers that match to the same place so that we're not messing with the, the count after the fact. After the election, that digital audit trail gets updated with intermediate results. And then we do another mm -hmm. audit after we do the final count. And that right. audit doesn't reveal which number, which in this case, confirmation number goes to which candidate, but it reveals mm -hmm. all but one of the wires. Right. So for us to have you know, changed the results of that election, we right. would need to know who you voted for ahead of time and like which ballot you were going to get, which is a very impossible task, uh, given yeah. that, you know, we're printing it on paper, we don't know when you're coming in, so on and so forth. So that is roughly how those systems work. And that's how you can have high confidence that your vote was counted absolutely correctly, because you're going to go online, you're going to make sure your confirmation number is there. But it's not going to say who you voted for, because that still remains encrypted. And it's protected okay. by a multi-party computation, and I won't get into the nerd stuff. Yeah, but this is so. This is extremely interesting, right? And and in in a previous life, I you know um, I had some exposure to to how um, the system voting works, and it is it is almost uh, it, it is so vulnerable. Let's just put it this way, right? Because there, there's so many ways in which either from from one source or another, whether it's electronic or, or an individual, uh, certain people are able to identify how an individual, for whom an individual has voted. And that, um, that of course, is, is not something that you want to have out there. Um, you know, I mean, it, for, for, for multiple reasons, right? I mean, I, I would want to vote for who I wanted to vote. I wouldn't want to want for everybody to know it at the time that I'm voting. But if that information is, is vulnerable uh, at that particular moment, it could be, an, it, it is an issue. 
right? Uh, I was about to say it could be potentially, you know, harmful, but uh, at that point, of course, it, it is an issue. Uh, that's not something I want to be out there. It absolutely is, yeah. Right. Okay. So in so in terms of in terms of this vulnerability uh, through the system that you just described, it it is protected or you know it, do we need more adoption about it? Um, what's the next step? That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> my conclusion is that no one wants to deploy a system. It, voting is messy, right? And no one wants to deploy a system where every minor mistake provides incontrovertible evidence that mm -hmm. the mistake was made. And right. I don't think barring public outcry, I don't think that it's going to ever be used in a real public election. Mm -hmm. And another aspect to this, which I'm glossing over, but it's really important. When you build a voting system, everyone has to be able to use it equally. And it's, right. these systems are not, the, the systems I worked on are are good and most people can use them, but I think it's it's difficult to use for a lot of voters. So there's a lot of reasonable objections to implementing that system. Mm -hmm. Some of them I think less legitimate than others, but I I don't think that any election official who's competent is ever <laughs> is ever going to deploy the kind of systems that I, I worked on. But I do think mm -hmm. aspects of what we've done are going to make it into that, into right. these systems eventually. Microsoft has a really great project called uh, Election Guard. And mm -hmm. there's a, a nonprofit in the space called Voting Works. And they're doing wonderful work. And they mm -hmm. have technology that uses very similar methods. Uh, and also leverages sort of the auditing to do risk limiting audits on paper ballots and, and other types of audits. So it's not that this has, is never going to make it into the public sphere. It's it's more that it's it's not going to look the way that it looked when I built it. If that makes sense, I've come to that conclusion. So, <laughs> I, can, and, I can I can completely understand. Yeah, go go for it. And I would just like to connect this back up. Is the same privacy techniques, not the same, not completely identical, but the in general, the, 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 the essence of them is the same right. stuff that's in the mixnet, the batch mixnet mixing, right? So it's, it's a very similar idea. That's how these, these two things are connected because it seems like voting is kind of off the wall, but no, in my mm -hmm. mind, you're solving the same problem, the same technical problem. Right. Different context, but same technical problem. Yeah, I mean, you know, you see, a, a lot of us can, can relate especially to that. And, you know, when you, when you look at the entire mechanism <clears throat> when it comes to voting, there's there's so many moving parts involved. Uh, you know, um, from from the the information we've had over the last couple of uh, of elections, uh, you know, whatever controversies had had surrounded them, uh, you know, the the utility of of, of personal data uh, to to create these to create influences. Um, and then finally getting down to, you know, that, so that's one aspect, right? That's just one layer. Uh, the second layer is when you're, when you're actually going to vote. Uh, and it's, it's at that point, if there's an, an additional vulnerability, uh, then, you know, this, this attack's coming from, from both ends. So uh, rather from, from, from both sides. Right? 
Right, but our technology is kind of removing being the, done to, the to plug that the equation. Helps your, exactly. um, you know, your, um, your, your rights, your freedom, uh, and, and it should, right? So we need more systems like these that are able to protect us from, from, from attacks like that or vulnerabilities. Let's just call them vulnerabilities because that's exactly what they are. Absolutely. And it's not that I've stopped working on voting systems. I've, I've been working lately on uh, VoteXX. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go to votexx.org, there's a, a paper that you can read that explains the system. Mm -hmm. And the innovation there is trying to make security similar to a voting booth on the internet, right? So we're, we're really trying to make internet voting more viable. Mm -hmm. And our intention is to use that as part of the XX network ecosystem. And the innovation there is we've realized sort of when you look at the voting problem, and I don't think this is well understood, right. it really boils down to can a third party buy or influence the vote because your privacy is violated, right? If I can right. know how you voted, then I can say, well, vote for this guy, I'll give you 10 bucks. That's mm. like the fundamental, like if you remove the malware and other aspects of this, which I think we can solve <laughs> with technology, that's the fundamental issue. And what we've done is you mm. register and that registration could be in person or it's some kind of KYC so that you're a real person. And you do that sometime before the election. Right. And you register pass raises that allow you to vote. And after the mm -hmm. fact, you can use a third, another third party we're calling it a hedgehog because we lack a better name, but essentially yeah. the hedgehog is in there to uh, uh, reverse your decision. So if I yeah. vote for candidate A, I mm -hmm. give the hedgehog a token that says, well, you mm -hmm. can nullify the vote for A. And nullify right. can mean different things. It could mean we're going to switch it from A to B, mm -hmm. right? But the key right. there, the insight there is there is no token that allows the hedgehog to directly vote for B or to nullify a vote for B. It's only allowing it to reverse or indicate reversal of the decision that you made. Mm -hmm. And because you have that, no one can, after the fact, come to you and say, well, I want you to vote for, for candidate A, I'll pay you $10 because they don't know if you're going to, that you're going to hedgehog it later to reverse the vote or to, to cancel right. the vote. And that's the, right. that's the innovation there. So, you know, it, if they wanted to do that, they would need to be involved from the beginning in the registration system. They need to make sure you never talk to anyone for the duration of the election. We're assuming elections last for months, right? So yes. how many people have the resources to take a significant number of people and put them in a dungeon without access to computers and it not be noticed, right? Like, that's the, that's the <laughs> theory, right? Like, nobody. Not even Indeed. governments, not even oppressive regimes have that capability. So, yeah. Yeah, it's no, about, I don't think anyone would go for it either. Yeah, <laughs> it's about reversing that asymmetry that you have now because right now you just need to be involved when they're voting. Yeah. But in the, in the system we're proposing, you need to be involved the entire time. You need to constantly be watching, and that level is is not possible. I mean, I could I could say before I even register, hey, I'm going to give you the token in advance. If I don't yeah. put my flowers out on this day, then cancel it. Mm -hmm. Like, 
And that right. could happen in two years before the election happened. Like, th- there's all kinds of things you can do, spy versus mm-hmm. spy style, that would enable you to do a nullification that wouldn't otherwise be possible. Yeah. So it just enables this entire world of optionality. And I'm sorry, I'm 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 rambling now. It's my turn to ramble, right, JP? <laughs> you got no, me no, going. No. I'm a fellow Alfred and human fan, so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, absolutely loved Alfred Inhuman. Um, but yeah, uh, let's uh, let's let, you know we, we've come we're coming towards the end of the show. So, audience, if you have questions, I know this is not the most secure network, but you can type that into uh, adlunum.inc because this this has certainly been informational, educational, eye opening, uh, and you know we probably need to get a new phone with a lot more security features now that we've heard uh, from <laughs> Dr. Richard Carbeck. Um, Doc, I've got I've got two more questions for you, uh, and then I'm gonna. But so I'll give the audience some some time to to throw the questions in, right? Um, okay. So in terms of uh, the future of um, the, the future of where more than more than just the the crypto industry as a whole is going, uh, you know, are we on the right track in terms of uh, being? more secure are we on the right track to being more vulnerable um what should we watch out for broadly because i know that this is this is something that um we've spoken on on the show but at from the industry as a whole um you know the next five years from now the next 10 years from now are we are we on the right track what should we course correct at this point I think we have a hard road ahead of us, but also mm-hmm. I think that things are going to get better and I mm-hmm. think that things are going to get worse. We're going to see more and more frequent privacy abuses, but we're also going to mm-hmm. see tools and reactions to that that are going to help mitigate and potentially solve some of those problems that we're going to create. And right. I hope that privacy is going to gain more prov- prominence. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm hoping to see like a number of privacy. Pro- we're obviously, we're not the only privacy project. We're specific to messaging, right? So we have mm-hmm. things that others don't. We don't, we have message delivery guarantees. We, we have some message storage, right? That other, ne- other projects don't, but they're, Right. We're not the only privacy project out there, and I'm hoping to see more of a user base for all of the projects and more prominence mm-hmm. for them as well. So I'm hopeful. Okay. Cautiously optimistic, mm-hmm. I guess, is the, the summary there. Okay. Um, all right. So my next question then is, is for you, uh, Doc. You know, you, you've told us a lot about where you started, what you see, and what are the things we have to to protect ourselves with? Get some crypto kung fu going, some of the basic moves, right? But what's your personal philosophy? I mean, you know, what what is it that keeps you going and so passionate about what you do? Oh, that's a tough one. <laughs> Be kind. Mm-hmm. Use what you're good at and try to do the most good for the most people and okay. do what you can to leave things better than how you found it. Right. Mm. Uh, now that I've said that it sounds a little similar to affected altruism, 
I would uh, say that's it's a little different for me. I, you know, there's that example of, you know, you theoretically let the local kid die to save a hundred in another place, right? I, right? I don't think that's the right way to look at it. I think that you always have to save the local kid because you're there, and that's what making mm -hmm. the place you're in better is about. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's. I think when you say, "Oh, if I spend money." elsewhere I, that doesn't necessarily actually save those kids you might be making the situation worse in a lot of ways so you have this moral obligation to do the work to understand your impact on the world so just i i, I very similar philosophy but slightly different in terms of the execution it's sort of impossible to know mm -hmm. how your contribution is going to yeah. have impact unless you're in the mud figuring it out so you need to do the work to make sure that you're 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 actually having the effect you think you're having. Okay. So um, I got to thank you, Doc. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, certainly, you know, uh, get in the mud, but be also at the same time be kind. Uh, and in okay, two th these are two things I think that every um, you know every one of us can, can follow. So so thank you for sharing that. I. I, I'm, I've asked my team to collect some questions, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Some of the responses I've got have been, um, you know, have been great. It's like two of them have said, "I had a question, but I'm not sure that I should send it electronically now after listening to the show." Ah, what's the harm? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, but you know, I I you know, I, I think I think that's also testament to the fact about what you've been saying. I think it, it has uh, been enlightening and it has uh, gotten them to understand, gotten us to understand me as, me as well, you know, where the vulnerabilities are and, and what we should do to, to, um, to, to circumvent that, right, to protect ourselves better. Uh, one more question that has come in. If you could travel back in time and give one piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? Besides, don't uh, don't sell all your crypto. Don't do the the, the human <laughs> trafficking project. Um, <laughs> I know that's a little selfish, but uh, um, uh, I would say I I want to say my my biggest personal flaw right is that I have always picked the most technically interesting project mm -hmm. and not necessarily the one that makes any money. Mm -hmm. And I had a guy, I had a, a VC tell me that when I was trying to sell the, the voting system stuff and I hated it. And I, the reason I hated it is because that guy was right. Um, mm. So it took me a long time to come around, but I, I've since modified that thinking to, I'm trying to pick the, a technically interesting project that's going to do good in the world that mm -hmm. can make the most impact for the most people. And that's admittedly a compromise, right? Because I, I I want to say that I'm not much, obviously I'm a little motivated by money, but not a lot mm -hmm. motivated by money. So it, it, pursuing only money, that's kind of would stain my soul. I think I couldn't handle it, but I also don't want to work on shelfware. I want to work on stuff that people will actually, you know, get it into people's hands and that they'll actually use it. Mm -hmm. So my, my conclusion there is, you know, uh, that's what I would tell myself is like, it's, if you work on things that no one else is using, does it really matter? And hopefully I would come to the conclusion that I've come to now. And that is my best bet here is to find a happy middle ground between those two extremes. So Indeed. that's the advice Indeed. I would give myself.
But number one would definitely be like, don't sell the crypto. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay, Doc, one, one last question. Um, this has come in from Gloria. Uh, and the question goes, AI is becoming more and more prominent. Uh, you know, is there something we should watch out for um, to protect ourselves? I, this, may be, this may be rudimentary, but I think um, given the current trends and the, the focus that AI has gotten off late, uh, is there something that we should we should watch out for? It's obviously a problem because the AI mm -hmm. is looking at patterns and the fundamental issue is that it is trying to predict what is not predictable. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is you can say, oh, this is a flower. That's a great use of, and what, what kind of flower it likely is. That's mm -hmm. an excellent use of artificial intelligence. But the mm -hmm. minute you start saying, oh, I'm going to use it to predict the market. I'm going to use it to predict if this guy's a good guy or a bad guy. You've crossed mm -hmm. a line of morality that right. is, I think, unacceptable. And I would love to see eliminated by regulation. But we're not there yet. What we're going to see is police departments using it to profile individuals, to profile neighborhoods. And it's going to be a cycle of abuse, which mm -hmm. is largely in the U.S. is largely funded by racism, but pretty much mm -hmm. it's the same everywhere, I think. In many cases, yeah. it's worse than other countries in the U.S. We acknowledge that mm -hmm. we're racist in many ways. Right. I mean, not always, but in mm -hmm. many ways we do more than other countries. So mm -hmm. I think that's the danger. And when you marry that with what I've already told you about all the privacy abuse. Yeah. It's going to exacerbate the situation, especially when you're talking about trying to make predictions. And, okay. you know, if you're predicting that some guy might like this product that you're offering, sure, fine. There's not a lot of harm in that, but you gotta, yeah. you gotta look at the harm. And there's a lot of, they talk a lot about, you know, end of the world ending AI, the machines are going to take over. I've looked right. at the LLMs. That's not a real mm. threat right now. Yeah. There's a lot of real harms right now. There's, mm. um, I think her name is Mitchell and Timnit Gibru. They've been publishing in this space for five to 10 years at least. Mm -hmm. um, they have outlined a lot of these harms and they're right. Like, we should be listening to the people who have been studying this on what these harms are and trying to build some regulations. And the right. other thing that I really dislike is all of this public data that you're sending into Google. I mean, I think Google just changed their terms of use yes. that you to make it more explicit that you are training their AI. But mm. all of this data, like, is, is, is we're the source. We're the reason the AI is smart, right? We're training the data. The reason Midjourney makes such great images is because it's stolen and using a bunch of images from everyone else. And I would love to, again, see regulation that requires them. And I know that they can build this in because I like, used to work on AI systems, requires them to cite their sources. It would be not that hard to, to make it work that way. They're just choosing not to do it because it makes them more legally liable. Um, great question. Well, that... <laughs> <laughs> uh in, indeed i mean um you know i i know that we could we we i think we have to do another edition of the show because th there's a lot of ground to cover there's a lot of um there's a lot of thought that that's that 
still has to be um, has to be put into how how to go forward because you know in in this entire thing and that's that's what we've learned through this entire show so so doc thank you so much for for letting us uh, for first accepting the invitation sharing your insights you know uh, being at the forefront of what you're doing um, and 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 thank you for your contribution to the space to be honest uh, it, it's been it's been spectacular having you on the show. JP, it has been an absolute pleasure, and I appreciate everyone in the audience, and I wish everyone a great day. All right. Thank you so much, Doc. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. This is the last question that we can take, but if you have further questions, write them in to C or to our speaker directly. We get them answered for you. I know that there are a lot more. Uh, if you're looking for a secure channel, you already know where to look. So, um, yeah, thank you so much once again for being on the show. We will be back next week at the same time, at the same place. This is JP from Adlunum INC bringing you everything about Web3. Have a good one. Cheers. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of Diving Into Crypto, proudly hosted by Adlunum, the first engaged-to-earn platform with a proof-of-attention model and dynamic NFT investor profiles. 